I want to ask you, let's just think together for a minute. What do you think when you think that? The gospel, I've written it on the board, underlined it. Can y'all see that? Okay. Truth. God's word. And it's not just a truthful word, but a promise. Hmm. Why you, why you got the word promise on there? That's an interesting thought, bro. It's a promise of eternal life for those who believe. Hmm. The promise of good things. We talked about promises last Wednesday night just a little bit or sometime recently. What are promises? What's inherent in a promise? Has anybody ever had one? Has anybody ever made you a promise? Did they keep it? I don't really know why they bothered with it. Give me an example. What's somebody that somebody promised you something and then they gave it to you? When you got married, they made a promise to do what? To be faithful. To be faithful. So that's an ongoing be faithful. That's kind of like a journey, isn't it? That's kind of like, well, I did that on Tuesday. No, it's not over with you. It's a continuing thing. That's interesting. Well, what if you had a promise and it was just about a specific thing that you could note and remember and have. I, I promise you, Jeff, I'm going to give you $100. I promise you. That doesn't even make sense anymore, but something that was, you know, important, something that was big, something was important. Now, I promise to do that, to give you that. Why even mess with that? I got a better idea. I got a better idea. Maybe, maybe, give me an example. My monkey's not working. Well, what's something you could give somebody that'd be a big deal? An organ. An organ. I'd rather have piano, but organ, okay, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I got an idea. If you're going to give somebody a liver or something, why don't you just give it to them? Why, why? What's the difference in a promise and just giving somebody something? That's what I'm after. Why bring this element in here? Promise is something that's going to happen in the future. Yeah, but why don't you just wait till the future and then do it? Quit all this mouthy talk. Doesn't have to. Well, for an organ, you do. <laughs> no? Yeah, you do. 
I could, I could, I could, I could match a kidney and be in a match with Mike for a kidney. And I got a sneaking idea. He's going to need a kidney and he don't need one for a couple of decades. And all of a sudden he needs one. And I'm okay. I'm going to do, I knew, I knew 30 years ago I was going to do it, but guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go ahead and give you a kidney. Why, why make the promise? Could you not just give it to him if you wanted to? Do you have to give it to him? No. no. Why do all the talking about it? There's something to it. There's a reason for this, isn't there? You don't have to do anything with that right now, but latch on to it, would you? Because did God make a promise or not? Promises have to do with the future. I got a good idea. Why don't he quit all this mouth and just do it? Because there's something needed. Preparation. What did you say, Bill? About a promise? Mike said it. I said it puts their mind at ease. That's it. Mike said hope. Does hope put your mind at ease? Yes. Well, what was that? Why are you trying to give people hope, put their mind at ease? What would that be? A real, why, who, who is it? Do you give anybody in this world hope and do you work hard to put people's minds at ease? Mm-hmm. What kind of people? Who are they? People you love. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> when promise is a good thing, I'm not talking about a threat. When a promise is a good thing, is it not got some connection to love? That's interesting. You don't have to do anything with that right now. Better latch on to it, though. Go ahead. Knowing that our walk as a Christian is a marathon and not a sprint, it's built in with the promise and the hope that we will persevere. Help us persevere. Why would you want to help somebody persevere? So that you're there in the end. Because what now? Oh, see them through the hard times. Hmm. Endurance. Perseverance. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many times, because you know that the testing of your faith That's not momentary difficulties. That's stuff that shakes with the bedrock of the deity of Jesus in your mind. Does this work? Is this true? Can I trust God? Test your faith. Is it worth it? We're talking about serious stuff. Not talking about I broke a fingernail. I'm talking about serious stuff. Because you know, you don't doubt, wonder, respect, you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete. Hmm. It's a process. Well, we're going to go preach the gospel. Can you preach the gospel? 
This gospel is something that can be preached. Who do we need to preach gospel to, though? Hmm. That's interesting. I've been preaching the gospel all day. I have, actually. Don't know if I talked to a single lost person. Why would you do that? Because like Alan said, it's hard. Life gets hard sometimes. Oh, life gets hard? I thought, yes, sir. mean we're all human now, Charlie? Are you starting something? I hope not. <laughs> you just keep being you just keep being exactly like you are, brother. That's what we need you to do. What do you mean being human? What are we talking about? Yeah, y'all understand what Charlie's saying? Or y'all going, what on earth is Charlie talking about? What? Now, what are you, what? What are you talking about? Well, we went from being human. I was kind of liking that there. We're all human beings. I was liking that. And then you're talking about sin. Mm-hmm. How'd you get, how'd you make that big, huge jump? Because we're human. <laughs> and we sin. Yeah. All men we sin all short of the glory of God. Yeah. Well, just the Jews and the Christians. Jews and Gentiles. <laughs> yeah, Jews and Gentiles. Yeah. To, yes, sir. To second what Chuck said is that we have mountaintop experiences and we have valleys. And sometimes those valleys aren't sin. They're just hard times. Hard times. Yeah. And y'all kind of confusing me. Are we sinners or saints? Hmm. So give me something else when I was the gospel. What are you talking about? The gospel. Salvation. I wanted to unpack that a little bit. You're you're talking about salvation. Good news, euangelion. That's the word we translate gospel. Very literally, it's what it is. It's the good news. So what is it? Jesus. Somebody. So the good news is about a person?
So the good news is some kind of a message that has some kind of a promise, and it's regarding a person. His name is Jesus, and he is the Son of God. That's what you're saying? What on earth has that got to do with sin? Yes, sir? God solved the sin problem that we couldn't. Is that good news? Mm -hmm. So in this message about Jesus, somewhere there's a solution for the sin problem. He died so our sins could be forgiven. Yeah, I think we know that, don't we? Hmm. Do we know that? I don't understand. I don't understand the need for all this. How many of y'all have heard the gospel? How many of y'all have obeyed the gospel? What are we doing? Wasting all this time. Do we need to be reminded that we fall short? Yes. Evidently, he reminds us. Paul reminds them in Corinth. Such as these were some of you. That's a reminder. Yes, sir? We mean charge our batteries. Huh. To strengthen us. To strengthen our faith. I don't understand why we need our faith strengthened. Because we're human. Because we're human. Y'all kind of high centered on this human deal, ain't you? Huh. Which you received, on which you have taken your stand. He said, unless you hold firmly to the word, you're going to have believed in vain. So the gospel that I received, that I believed, that became my salvation, that I have taken a stand on. Paul said, you better get a hold of it and you better keep hold of it. Better get hold of it and keep hold of it. Fast forward all that over to the book of Romans. Did y'all turn over yet? Look there in the first 14, 15 verses. He talks a lot about the good news. Uh-huh. 
It is truth. It is God's word. It was even promised. The gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scripture. I think Gander at the Old Testament, I'm not saying a lot of good news. Is there any good news? It's a payment. It's a payment. It's a debt. It's owed. A propitiation. Yeah, I don't like finding out debts that are owed. That's not good news. Well, there's, it's not, I'm not saying it's, it is a debt, but there's a solution to it. So there's a solution. There's a payment made. There's a solution for all the sin that's pointed out. Hmm. And Paul said, I can't wait to get to Rome. I am meager to get there. That's a cool word. What's he going to do when he gets there? The people he writes to have already obeyed the gospel. Was he going to waste time? And they get on something else when he gets there, didn't he? Rome's the center of the universe. All roads lead where? That's 2,000 years ago, guys. 2,500 years ago. And we still say that. What does that mean? All roads lead to Rome. They, had, they made 50,000 miles of paved roadway, by the way. But that's... Anything, anything that has any significance, anything that's going to touch the world, and you could find it there. You have any idea how excited Paul is? He's not stupid. He knows that. You have any idea how excited he is that the gospel is in Rome? Man. Why is he going over all this with people who've already obeyed it? See, there's... There's, we, we jump over to 1 Corinthians 15, and I hear people do this all the time. And, you know, I've done this for emphasis at a point before. We'll go over to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Deborah, somebody was referring to it a while ago. And Paul said, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel. What he's fixing to do is he's fixing to tear apart from the inside a false argument that's being preached in Corinth is what he's fixing to do that there is no resurrection. He said, when you get rid of the resurrection, you get rid of the gospel. He said, there's three historical facts that are bedrock information laid out in the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's true. And that was according to the scriptures. But he doesn't go into great detail right there 
Don't let anybody talk you out of that. You received that. You believed it. You took your stand on it. Hold on to it. Lest otherwise you have believed in vain. But you can't do everything at one time. And he doesn't unpack all the implications of those three historical facts right there. But he's unpacking a whole bunch of them in the letter to the Romans. Why is he doing that with the church? The church needs saving, brothers and sisters. All day, every day. All day, every day. Remember how he started the letter? We went over and over it, and I know, and, and the reason we're doing a vest pocket review right now is we're about to get neck deep in some details, and you can do that, and if you don't keep them in context, they never will make sense to you. Your applications will all be off because your understanding was all off. And I don't need the doctor to write me a prescription. I need the doctor to figure out what's going on and then write me a prescription. You know what I'm more interested in than the doctor's prescription? His diagnosis. Because when your diagnosis is wrong, how many, what difference does it make about the prescription? It make any difference. I thought he saved us from our sins. Is the gospel the message by which he saved us from our sins? Did the gospel bring us to Jesus Christ the person? Then what on earth do we continually need it for? Because Satan's still alive. Yeah. Because what now? Satan is still alive and looking for people to devour. He is still alive and looking for people to devour. How's he going to get people to give up? Think about it. How on earth could you get a Christian to give up? Take away hope. Yeah, hit them with so much hard time. Take away hope. How are you going to take away their hope? Well, I remember that when, when, when I got my life to Christ and I was baptized, I remember the first time, just very, very shortly after I was baptized, I, when I consciously sinned again, and I, I, was, I was in tears. I literally ran to people. Who weren't I, you disappointed? I was disappointed. I mean, weren't you fed up? Oh, yeah. And it, it, it because I have a human baggage. I'm a human I mean, you were you were planning on. I'm so glad to be done with that. Glad that part of that sin. I'm glad that part of my life is over. What? I'm still human. I had to figure that out. That's interesting. Need reminded every day. Because what's happening every day? We're being tempted. Christianity is not a sin reduction diet or program. If the only way we read scripture is, let me see how I can reduce the sin in my life. Paul spent the first three chapters primarily, the first he spent two full chapters, you know, from 118 to 320, he spent all that time. Why did he spend all that time talking about where people 
where people have been and where people were in their thinking. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise, but they became fools. Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, they gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways. They invent ways of doing evil. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. That's not good news. Does that sound like good news? Is he describing the life of a Christian? Is he? I don't understand what happened to the good news then. Because that's not good news. The good news is we died of our sin. Though he didn't say anything about that. I didn't quote thoroughly 118 uh, to 32, but we abbreviated it a good little bit. He didn't say anything about dying to any sin. He's talking about the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. He's talking about people who had knowledge of God and suppressed it. It didn't do them any good. And all they were left with is, guess what? Their humanity and their sin. And guess what sin does? Rains and has its day is a snowball going down a hill. They had enough knowledge of God for it to have saved them. They don't pay attention to it. Why would he go to the trouble? Is he talking to the, to the church in Rome right there? I know he's talking to them. Is he talking about them? I don't see where you get that. Too many heads are bobbing yes. He's talking about Christians. He is? What did he say about Christians? 614. What do you say, Jeff? For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Sound like sin's being a master to somebody in 118 to 32. They had knowledge of God through creation. It wouldn't do them any good. 
Then 2, 1 to 16, the next section, you've got these people who, who understand morality, and I mean, they preach it, and they teach it, and guess what it leaves them with? Their humanity and their sin. They can't even keep their own cotton-picking morality. And God put that sense of morality in their heart, 215. You don't have to be a Jew. He gave that to everybody. And they come up with these rules. Why is he telling the church that? Look there at 2, 1 to 16. Give me some excerpts from that. Does that sound like freedom from sins? That's how like the sin problem's been solved in these people's minds. Because one eighteen thirty two, it don't sound like sin got solved. Sound like it's having its day. Uh, they're unre they're unrepentant. They're stubborn. They're storing up wrath for themselves on the day of God's wrath. Does that sound like Christians? Does that sound like sin's been solved? No, it's the antithesis of that, brothers and sisters. It's the antithesis of that. They're passing judgment on someone else and whatever they're judging, they're guilty of it in a worse degree. Uh, They show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience. Does that sound like a faithful Christian? Does that sound like somebody that the sin problem's been solved? Doesn't sound anything at all like them. You know why? It's not. All these people calling themselves Jews and bragging about the law and their relationship to God, and they're so much superior. They're instructors of foolish, uh, teachers of infants. Uh, They preach against stealing, but they still rob people. They preach against adultery, but they still commit adultery. Uh, They abhor idols, but they sure make money off of them. Does that sound like he's talking about faithful Christians? Well, he's not. Why would he waste time when he's talking to the church? Why would he waste time talking? Does all three of those sections sound like sin reigning and ruling? Does it sound, that doesn't sound like the good news at all to me. You know why? It's not. That sounds like the bad news. Bad news. Sin's greater than man. That's the bad news. And 118 to 320, people, they come up with all sorts of stuff, and some of it's from God, and it still leaves them in, in bondage to, enslaved to sin. So very practically, I'll give you a hint. Mike talked about it a while ago. What are they? Full of hope. Can you find any hope from 118 to 320? If you can, I'd like to hear it. Is there one ounce of hope in any of that? 
No. I'm not fussing anybody. I'm being emphatic for a purpose. What are they? All those people in that section, what are they? Why on earth are you telling the church about the hopelessness of the world around them, past, present, and future? Because if I just started to you, they become filled with every, every kind, of envy, murder, strife, and malice, deceit, and malice. Gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. Am I talking about modern day or 2,000 years ago? See, you wouldn't have a clue. Is this still going on? Yeah, what are they? What are people in regard to sin? Absolutely, positively hopeless. What are they doing? What do people, what, what do, people do? They still do these same things today. They brag about their knowledge we don't need God. God's not real. They brag about their morals. I don't need God. I'm a real good person anyway. Nobody brags about their religion. You talk to somebody about if they're lost or saved, and nobody starts telling you where they go to church, do they? They do too. It's the first thing out of their mouth 90% of the time. First thing out of their mouth. Why are they doing that? You trying to give me some more religion, Jadon? I got a bunch of religion. My granddad's the Pope. My dad is two elders. What, what, what are they doing? None of that's good news. So let's look at what, what has Paul said? What has he said so far? Regarding Christians. And you don't have to agree with me. You can think from 118 to 320, he's talking about Christians if you want to. You're going to have to explain, and I'll believe it, but you're going to have to give me some evidence and make some sense and make some points to tell me because he says the absolute positively antithesis of that over and over and over. What did he say? 619, 617. Start about 617 there. Somebody? That doesn't mind reading it out loud. Start about 617. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin. You used to be slaves to sin, 118 to 320. You fell probably in those three categories. You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves, mm-hmm. to righteous, slaves of righteousness. So now what are they? Slaves of righteousness. Where they used to be. Are they slaves to righteousness or not? Yes, they are too. Well, they used to be slaves to sin. Did they know that's what they're signing up for? Paul said, the day he got baptized, what did you expect God to wash away? What did you expect God to get rid of? Came out of the water, and I don't know if it was 30 days or 10 minutes or 30 minutes, but in some short period of time right after that, then it came to your conscious awareness that what still existed on planet Earth in your world. Do you have any proof? Do you have any proof that that's not your reality anymore? 
Uh-huh. Do you have a solution? Do you right now tonight as a Christian have a solution for your sin? What is it? Oh, I erased it all. It's still it. This is still it. He said, I'm putting this in human terms. Back over to chapter five. Here's a real good thing. Let's look at five. uh, Let's look at let's look at eight because that's gospel, isn't it? Okay, back up to six. I know you want to go back to six. Back up to six. Go ahead. Has he made any has he made any detailed effort to give full explanation of how powerless people are against sin? From one eighteen to three twenty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. It went over that thoroughly. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, what happened? Christ died for the ungodly. Right there. Christ died for the ungodly. That's not powerless. That's powerful. That's powerful. The gospel, I wish he'd have just said that. Oh, he did say that. What's the theme of the letter? 1, 16, 17. Not ashamed of the gospel because that's the power of God. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God, a solution from God is revealed. A power from God is revealed. The gospel was powerful. What did the gospel do the day you obeyed it? I know God did it, but I'm saying he didn't do it outside of the gospel, so he did it through the gospel. What happened the day you obeyed it? I'm fishing, but that's trying to, what happened that day? Spiritually. He sanctified you and you became virtuous. Yes, before that. I know it all happened at one time. Y'all are not wrong, but I'm fishing. In regard to the problem, what's the problem? That's the problem. Sin's the problem. So on the day I obeyed the gospel... In regard to sin, I became what? Free. Yes, but don't say that yet. Say dead. Because that's what you said. I was trying to get you to say what you said, Jeff. Why don't y'all know what I'm trying to get you to say? Dead. Dead. You became dead to sin. Do any dead people owe you money? Fine if they do, go get it. When I die, y'all come over and try to make me feel real guilty about all the debt I owe people. I feel guilty about nothing. I don't know nobody anything. When I'm dead, when I'm dead to the relationship, to the currency, to the pro, I'm dead to that. And since I died to it, what did the death necessarily bring about? You're right, Jeff. But died to sin equals what? 
Well, Paul got baptized and then he sinned. He didn't say the day you get baptized, God removes sin from the planet Earth. He didn't even say the day you got baptized, you'd never sin again. You know how full church buildings would be if that were the case? The whole world wouldn't be big enough for the church building. You, you couldn't. You come out of the water and sin cease to exist in your life ever again. You don't think pagans, you don't think pagans long for the life that's sin free? Oh, yes, they do. Because if sin wasn't there, what would we be full of? That's on the other side. States with, starts with H-O-P-E. You don't think devil worshipers love hope? You don't think they want some hope? They do too. They're longing for it. They're doing everything they can to create it. You don't think the humanists of our world today and all these goofy things they got going on in this country even, and they think they come up with something new, and if they knew all that stuff was two or three or four or 5,000 years old, they'd just be embarrassed as all get out. They hadn't thought up anything new yet. Nothing. You know what they're looking for? Hope. You know what they're trying to find? Peace. Doesn't come about. So I obeyed the gospel, and sin just kept on happening. Yeah, but you don't know the depth of it anymore. So something, 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 what do you mean debt? Does debt motivate anybody in here? Y'all never owed anybody anything. Man, if y'all's all farmers in Texas, I talked to you about debt, and I got everybody's attention. What does debt bring? What does debt bring? Here's your hint. I wrote it on the board and underlined it. Obligation. Nuh-uh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It does too. If you've ever owed anybody anything and you couldn't wait till you got it, you know. I'm just waiting on that last sincerely but no longer yours. Paid. That's interesting. That's an interesting thing to say. Yes, sir? I mean, we, we all can relate to paying, you know, owing and paying and, until you pay it off. But in this situation, we, we don't have the means to ever pay it off. We can't pay it. Are you talking about the sin debt? Because don't jump rails. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Right? Mm -hmm. Did Paul owe anybody anything? He said, I am obligated. I am indebted to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. Pennsylvanians and non-Pennsylvanians. It's just everybody. When somebody has you in debt, 
when sin has you in debt, what do you have to do? You're obligated. You're obligated to pay homage to it. You're obligated to obey it. Obligation. What goes with obligation? The idea of what? Slavery. Master. All these are Roman words. I mean, from the letters, they're God's words. Spiritual words explain spiritual truths. Straight from the mind of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 16. You, however, are obligated not to the sinful nature to live according to it. You're obligated now to the spirit. The mind of sinful man is death. The mind governed, the mind controlled by the sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the spirit is, guess what? Life and peace. When I gave you all the first abbreviated outline, chapter 8, verses 1 through 39 in regard to sanctification, that is the believer's current position. All 39 verses. All 39 verses. So why go through all this? Why remind the church of where they stand without Jesus? Of where the world stands without Jesus? Because it's such a sad, hopeless situation. Now what the devil wants you to do with that is go, yeah, I know, yeah, we're all... We've up Paul already laid the charge. Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm a Gentile. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. Sin has its dominion over us all the time. That's chapter 3, verse 9, pretty much quoted. Paraphrased a little bit. That's not the present position of the believer. That's not the position of those bought with the blood by the price of the blood, bought and owned by God. It's not the current position of anybody who has had their sin situation solved. It can't be. Because he ain't lying and he hasn't changed his mind yet. Talking about Paul. And he writes by the Spirit. For sin shall not be your master. Because you're not under law is that which creates a debt against you because of your sin. And he writes that to the church, brothers and sisters, because just because you're immersed in water, because Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and you believe God made a promise to wash away your sin, and you associate water with cleansing, good idea, and you do that, and then you come out of there thinking sin's never going to appear in my life again. Uh-uh. And the first time it shows up, what on earth?
We got to have something to deal with it. We've got battle to do yet. We've got perseverance to have yet. We've got endurance to have yet. We, we people in the church, redeemed, blood-brought, spirit-filled Christians who do not understand all of this as an unpacking of the gospel message that they obeyed. He wrote this. You can obey the gospel and not have all of this information. It'd be really hard in this day and age because it's contained in the thing we call the Bible. And I want to know how you came to God through Jesus Christ without having any access to anybody that has a Bible. I bet I have it in 40 different languages. But you don't have to know all this to be immersed in, the, in does God keep his promise? If you're baptized because Jesus is the Son of God and God's going to keep his promises, get ready for God to keep his promises. He kept his promises. You understanding and being able to articulate all of that to yourself when sin shows up in your life, when sin shows up in your family, when sin shows up in your world, you need to be able to understand evidently because he wrote it down. What is really going on? And if the gospel was our way out of sin, having its way with our life, you know what is, if it was the powerful thing to do that initially, you know what is still the powerful thing to get sin out of my life today? No, today. It's the gospel. And God's going to be faithful. I mean, this is not exactly a marriage covenant, but is that one of the things he uses to illustrate what the church is? Are we a bride or not, men included? War two. Or what kind of husband is Jesus going to be? When's he going to be faithful? Just on the wedding day? He's the same guy on the wedding day that he will be when he gets back. He is called faithful and true. That's who he is to the core. Revelation 19. He come back to get us and he's faithful and true. And all this sin business. You don't need the deep, dark secrets of sin. All you need to know, it's bad, you don't like it, let's get away from it. That pretty much do it. But the gospel business, we need education in this gospel business. Why? It doesn't just save lives, brothers and sisters, it transforms lives. In view of God's mercy, guess what single solitary message in all of Scripture is a full explanation and guarantee of God's mercy to human beings, to sinners. It is the gospel. In view of God's mercy, Paul said, and I spent eight chapters in the first part of the letter explaining that to you inside out and over and over and over. In view of God's mercy, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That's what we're doing. 
And that's what we're going to do. And if we have any desire at all to persevere in that, to endure in that, then this information, brothers and sisters, will help us do that. So I'm inviting you to read Romans 7. I'm inviting you to read perhaps Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 because it's all one argument. Just, I didn't get, I interrupted myself a while ago in chapter 5. Let's touch that real quick. We'll be done. Romans chapter 5. See, at just the right time, we were still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. Verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. Same argument. Since we have now, what? Somebody read for me there. Much more than have now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So, we, now what happened right now? We're justified through his blood. Since that's true, how much more, going now to the future, shall we be saved from what? The wrath of God. The wrath of God. Those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. What are they saved from? That's not right now. Right now they're justified by his blood. The price is paid. The debt is not owed. He paid a debt he didn't know. He owed a debt we couldn't pay. He paid it. We're not condemned right now. We're not under the wrath of God right now. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Probably says that in your Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10. Right there by Romans 5, 9. If yours doesn't say that, if you've got a white spot right there, it could say that. Just abbreviate it. What does he say right there? 1 Thessalonians 1. I know I was, I was trying to make that the last, but we're just trying to understand it here. What does he say? Go ahead, Alan. You got it? You looking at it? One, I think verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Am I in Jesus or not? Are you in Jesus or not? What's Jesus rescuing you from? Has he done that already? Yes and no. Yes and no. Is the major part of that yet to come? Yes. Has he solved my sin problem right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did he do? Washed it in his blood. What's he going to do on a day of judgment? Save me from what? The Save you from that hellfire. He's going to save me from going to hell. And right now, for the rest of my life, he's trying to save me from looking like it. And acting like it. And being a slave to it. And the same gospel message does all that. So go back over to Romans 5, where we left off there. Since we've now been justified by his blood, 
How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Matter of fact, that's fine. That's a good stopping spot. That right there. I want you to nail that down in your mind. The gospel has delivered you. The gospel doesn't deliver people somewhere else. It delivers people into a justified position. How does it do that? The cross of Jesus Christ. You think people leave the church knowing this? That there's nothing that stands between them and God. That their soul is washed clean. That God's love to them is not just so practical, is not just so powerful and majestic you couldn't understand it. It is so practical that he has put his spirit within you and he loves you so much. He wants his love to be in your heart and he wants you to live a life that's free from the dominion and the reign and the rule of sin right now all day every day. Because that's fact. Be it unto us according to our faith. As we believed our freedom from sin, let it be unto us. Okay. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you, Father, for who you are. We thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. We thank you, Father, for opportunity to be together, to just consider it. I know, Father, that I speak quickly and emphatically, but I'm simply offering these things to us, Father, to consider them. Number one, because it's the truth, and number two, Father, because it makes sense. The truth always makes sense. When it doesn't make sense, we misunderstand it. You're not the author of confusion. You're the God of order and peace. And number three, Father, because our personal hope, endurance, and perseverance in the truth and in the gospel is what's at stake. And salvation, period, initially and continually is what's at stake for a lost world. And should we not understand it, Father, we'll never be able to articulate what we cannot understand. And somebody has to have the gospel preached to them. It is your purpose, Father. Bless it according to your will. Bless it in our lives. Glorify yourself. Be with us, Father, in any way that will bring you glory and accomplish your purpose in our lives. Please, Father, help us to find encouragement from the truth that you give us, that you reveal to us, that you unpack thought by thought for us in the gospel message regarding your son. Please, Father, help us to hear it. It is the only thing that brings life. It's through Jesus who died for us, bled for us, and intercedes now on our behalf. We pray these things. Amen. Peace.